I'm Kimberly C. Paul. Today we talk with Dr. Scott Kobaba. He's a physician bringing voice to miraculous experiences doctors are hesitant to share with their patients. He brings it all together in a book, Physicians Untold Stories, where 25 physicians share their stories. How do we become the architect of our own destiny? Throughout two decades of working with the dying, I think I've discovered the secrets to dying well in America. We must learn to build the pathways to our last chapter, to create the blueprints that reflects our individual lives and values. Knowledge is power, and if we desire a death that reflects our life, we must become the designer. First of all, thank you so much for sending me this book, Physicians Untold Stories. Some of them have really made me think, wow. And I'm wondering, these are miraculous experiences. Why are physicians having a hard time sharing that with their patients? Because they would think that they're afraid that the patients would think they're crazy. And some patients would. You know, if you had, you have probably have a doctor, if you go to your doctor and the doctor says to you, I had this dream that uh, I needed to take care of your sister or brother or something and do this and it saved their life, uh, you'd think, oh, this guy's a little different, you know? <laughs> right. wouldn't, wouldn't you? And these are, these are ordinary docs. These are docs my family goes to, I go to, they come to me. You know, these are not, these are not, doctors at the edge of, of medicine. There are lots of doctors that are kind of on the edge of things. These are main, hardcore, straight arrow doctors that are just trying to make a living, practice good medicine, help people every day. And when they have these unusual, incredible experiences, they're afraid to share them. You're right. And these physicians, you know, they they sound like they're true scientists. They need facts. They need... and. And that's what's so interesting about this book is that is is that these are physicians that are not going to fall for certain things. No. And they cannot explain what's going on. So it is mysterious and miraculous in the same sense. Um before before we get to uh into the book, I wanted just to kind of introduce you, um, and and just what what brought you interested to this field of medicine. And the great thing is that you let the audience know who in the front of this book that people told you 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 weren't supposed to be a doctor. Go away. Um, this is not for you. And I love your story and determination that this is what you were meant to be. Well, I always wanted to be a doc since I was a little kid. Even before grade school, I always wanted to be a doc. And and through grade school and high school and, and part of college, I thought, this is exactly what I want to be. In college, I ran into some courses that I thought were really boring. And it's interesting, when I was in the middle of taking one of the courses, a, 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 another student across the, the bench from me who was looking at the same microscope said to me, isn't this exciting. This is exactly what medical school is going to be alike, all, all about. And I almost threw up because it was so boring and, and so tedious. And I said, oh, uh, I didn't know what to say. So the next day, <laughs> next day, I became an economist. So I majored in economics. I graduated from college, but I wasn't a great student. I didn't have a, I didn't have a direction. You know how some people just don't, don't have a direction. So, you know, when I interviewed, to, I, I ultimately changed my mind then. I wanted to go back into medicine. But I interviewed 
before I had a number of prerequisites and my scores were, were not great and my grades were not sterling. And the, the one of the most powerful doctors in medicine in Chicago interviewed me. I was very honored to have him interview me until the very end of the interview when he said, Mr. Kobaba, you just don't have what it takes to become a doctor. And I just almost <laughs> fell on the floor. I was, it was, I was devastated for about two weeks. And then I was on fire. And then nothing could stop me. And I, I went back and got some prerequisites. I got good grades. I, I did really well on the MCATs because I studied like crazy for them. And, and I finally got, got back in. And I really was, was really motivated. And I was a little older than most of the other medical students. So I think I had, you know, some more motivation than, than they did. And I did really, really well in, in medical school. And, and I, I love what I'm doing. I've done it for over 30 years. And, and uh, it's an honor to, to be able to participate in the lives, literally the life and death decisions of, of many people. And and it maybe maybe do a little bit of good in the world on occasion sometimes although someday do you think do you think you would have followed your dream to become a physician if that if that person was like uh, wasn't as hard on you as he was I probably would have but boy that really was motivating you know when someone says you just can't do anything because you're not good enough you really either either you crash and burn or you really light the fire. And this one lit the fire for me. And, and the interesting thing, yeah, that, that there is a poetic justice to this. And the poetic justice is, I went to medical school at the University of Illinois. And then I w did my residency at the same institution that this professor uh, was, was the dean of. And uh, what the interesting part is, after my first year, I was awarded the John B. Drake Award, which is for the best intern of the class of 35 interns. I was awarded the best as the best intern, voted by my peers and my, also the attending physicians. And his office had to give me the award. <laughs> I love it. So that, that is awesome. That's poetic that's, justice. It is. And you're, it sounds like you're similar to me. When someone says, I can't do it, oh, man, it does put a fire under me as well. Oh, wow. That is such a great story. Now, where do you, do you still, you still practice medicine, still correct? practice medicine. Once I get it right, I'll retire, but I haven't gotten it right yet. I'm still practicing. So, so where do you practice at? Uh, in a, a suburb of Chicago, Wheaton, Illinois, and our hospital is Northwestern uh, Medicine. Oh, wow. So it's, it's just not a county hospital. It's a, it's a community hospital, but it's part of the Northwestern uh, uh, health system. So, wow. Yeah. Wow. And I, I, you said you've been practicing over 30 years. You have seen just about everything by now, haven't you? I've seen lots of stuff. I, 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 it's been a privilege to, to participate in lives of people and, and their families and the grandparents and the kids and, and see lots and lots of things. And uh, I, I've enjoyed it all. Oh, and, and you have a very small family too, um, of only seven children yes. and Gracie. Um, so, I mean, you, you have, it seems like you, you have a large family and you believe in, in family units. And I mean, it just seems like you could be anybody's father. Um, just so genuine. And I think that's, I mean, it's about bedside manner and coming in and relating to people. And you're so easy to relate to. You know, this is a heavy business. You know, we tell people they're dying. We tell people that they've got serious illnesses all the time. And if you can lighten the load a little bit and make someone laugh and, and, and uh, you know, make someone smile, that is so important. And, and when you lighten it up, it makes it all a lot, a lot easier to take.
yeah, you have, for, I'm not sure how you did this, but you gathered 26 physicians together to write these short stories about um, stories that they normally would not tell their patients. And it tends to be more on the mysterious and miraculous side. Now, how did you gather these physicians and encourage them to tell their stories. I mean, I couldn't get my medical director to write a newsletter article. I mean, how did you do this? You know, I really don't know. Uh, I have some theories, okay? And and the, the one theory is I've been around for a long time, and they know me, and they know I'm not going to exaggerate or, or do anything bad with their stories. So I think that was the that was the one premise. The second one, though, I think is very interesting. And and what I I learned a lot about docs. Because, you know, we, we don't talk to each other. In, in deep ways. Doctors talk very superficially. Potassiums, gallbladder surgery, my golf game was this, I'm going on vacation next month, whatever. But I learned a lot about docs and talking with them about some of these stories. And I learned that most docs underlying all of it are what I call sappy do-gooders. They went into medicine to do some good in the world, to change a life, to help someone get through a tough situation. Um, to do some good in the world every single day. And most of these doctors want to do just that. They want to do some, some good in the world. I, I, one doctor, for example, I, I was telling him about, we were doing some, uh, some adoption work for a while. And one of the doctors uh, and I were talking about a little girl that, from Romania that would probably never be adoptable because she burned her feet when she got too close to the space heater with her plastic shoes on. And so she would need multiple orthopedic surgeries to even allow her to walk again. She was about three years old. And about a week later, he called me up and said, we'd like to adopt her. Now, I said, this is Andy Rao, cardiologist from Elmhurst, Illinois. And I, I said, Andy, you, you don't even know anything about her. She could have AIDS. She could have all kinds of illnesses. She could have anything. And he said, it doesn't matter. She's a girl that we have a, a, a chance to give her a, a real life because we can have, I know surgeons that can operate on her feet. We can get her walking again. We can take care of whatever she's got. And I'd like to do that. And these are the kind of doctors that, that I see every day, doctors that are truly sappy do-gooders. And so when I was writing the book, uh, I, I announced to everyone, I wanted to commit myself because, you know, when you commit yourself and, and you, you'll be embarrassed if you don't do it. Well, <laughs> so, so, so true. It's so true. So I said to all my friends and all my doctor friends that I'm writing a book. Okay. And, and so, and I, then I got nervous because I, then I had to really do it. I've never written a book before. And, and I started asking questions about whether they had any unusual experiences that they couldn't explain medically. And I, I got a lot of, a lot of doctors that told me stories that just blew me away because again, they've never told me these stories before. And I thought, why would they tell me these stories when they're ordinary docs? They have everything to lose. They have, uh, you know, the they're risking their careers, their their patient base. They're risking referrals from other doctors that might think they're strange or, or uh, you know, not uh, not a routine kind of a doc. And I think the underlying reason was they are sappy do-gooders. They want to have these stories get out and make feel make people feel better about their lives, about what happens when you die about uh what what's beyond us that there is a god up up there that that looks after us and loves us unconditionally and helps us in strange and interesting ways throughout our life in many cases and, and these stories illustrate that so i think these docs felt uh, compelled to to tell the world these stories because they wanted to make people feel better mm, well you do better 
Let me tell you, I, some of the stories in this book, um, if you don't believe in miracles or unexplainable miracles um, before you read this, you will after. Um, because there's no scientific explanation. Um, and that's what I love, is that here you have some deep individuals dedicated to science, but they understand that they're not going to be able to explain everything. And they lean into that. And that's what I loved about collecting these stories, because these are scientists and, and they're ordinary good doctors that try to do practice uh, uh, evidence-based medicine. You know, if something has evidence that it it's works, we, we do that. If we are supposed to treat a pneumonia for seven days, we're supposed to do that and not 10 days or four days or whatever. So they're basing their all their judgments on, on uh, scientific uh, facts. And these have no scientific basis. And the stories I included, uh, they had, I, I have, a, I interviewed about 200 doctors, so I have lots of stories. But the ones I included were ones that either made me cry out of sheer emotion, not of sadness necessarily, but sheer emotion, or it gave me goosebumps. And if, if a doc told me a story in the morning at five o'clock or something, you know, when, when we get into the doctor's lounge, uh, and I had goosebumps, I, I knew that that was a story I needed to include. And I, and I did. So can you tell us one of those stories that's in the book that gave you absolute goosebumps? Sure. There's, there's a number of them. Uh, one of my favorites is the Steve Heim story. Steve is an orthopedic back surgeon that uh, is very athletic, and he loves to ski these triple black diamond runs in Colorado. And one uh, one uh, uh, year, I think, is a spring in the springtime. He was skiing with his wife and his wife's sister, and they got up on a mountain that they were not familiar with, and a, a blizzard hit, and all the snow was coming down sideways, and the wind was blowing like crazy, and they had to ski down. They could hardly see anything in front of them. And, and while they're skiing down, they came to a patch of trees in the middle of this run, so they had to go to the right or the left. And, and the girls went to the left, and Steve didn't see that they were going to the left, and Dr. Heim went to the right. So as soon as he realized that he was not with the girls anymore, he decided to ski back through the, the woods. And he's an expert skier, and five feet of powder snow was not a problem for him at all. But he had this, this strange feeling when he started skiing through this grove of trees that there was some something that was uh, – there was an ominous, dreadful feeling in his chest. You know, you get that feeling that there's something really bad happening here. And he was he felt like he was being called on to do something that had life and death proportions uh, or implications. And so he just, he started decided to stop skiing. So he's standing there, stopped skiing, took his skis off and wondering what the heck he's doing, because the girls are still waiting for him on their side. He, he thought they would wait for him. And they were. And then he did something even more unusual. He felt the compulsion to climb up the mountain. This is in the opposite direction from where the girls are waiting. So he's climbing up this mountain for no apparent reason with this feeling of overwhelming dread inside that there's something that he has to do. He has no idea what it is. And he also said at the same time, there was a feeling of there was a calm that came over him. Uh, the wind was blowing. The, the trees were going back and forth. The snow was coming down like crazy, but it was quiet right where he was. And he could hear his breath. He could hear this crunch of snow under his boots. And they came to a large pine tree with a tree well that, that went down to the base of the tree and then up to the, the five feet of snow. And he looked down uh, into the well and suddenly realized why he was there. Underneath the tree was a body covered with snow. You couldn't have seen it had you been five feet away because you had to be right on top of the tree. And he and he's a interestingly, 
who else but a trauma surgeon uh, would be a perfect person to be there. He's also a trauma surgeon. So he knew exactly what to do. He brushed the guy's face off, and he looked like he was dead. He had a gray face, but he wanted to be absolutely certain that he was dead, so he put his hand on his carotid artery uh, in his neck, and he had a pulse, so he knew he was alive. So he went into trauma mode, did all the things that the trauma surgeon would do, brush the snow off, cover him with his, with his jackets, started immediately calling for help. One of the last skiers down the mountain heard his cry for help, came to his side, and he said, what can I do? And he said, go call the ski patrol. So they, they left. About 15 minutes later, the ski patrol came up uh, for the gurney and a, and a snowmobile, loaded the unconscious hypothermic skier onto the, uh, onto the gurney and took him off to, uh, to the uh, waiting ambulance in the lodge. Steve then was shaking with adrenaline and also cold, put his jackets on and uh, skied back to where the girls were still waiting. They skied down the mountain and got into the lodge where he got his reward, a cup of hot chocolate. <laughs> uh, the next day he called the, uh, the hospital and said, what happened to this, this skier that was unconscious and hypothermic? And they said, he's fine. He uh, woke up uh, this morning, he's uh, eating, he has uh, no frostbite, nothing wrong. He has a broken leg, which you splinted in the field. Steve actually splinted his leg in the field with his underclothes and a tree branch. And they said, you did a wonderful job. We didn't have to do any further setting. We just put it in the cast. <laughs> and so I said, Steve, what do you think about this? And he said, well, I think uh, I was direct. There, there was no question that, that I was directed to that skier by, by God, that, that's, that he needed to be saved. And there was no way I could have found that skier or anyone could have found that skier probably until the springtime, until the snow melted. And he said, I, that day, there were two, two, two uh, people were saved. And I said, what do you mean two people were saved? And he said, well, the skier that was under the tree was saved, and I was saved too. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, two years ago, I was skiing with my father on a, a mountain in uh, Michigan. We were cross-country skiing. My father loves cross-country skiing, and he arrested on the on the uh, mountain, and basically, I had to rush him down to the to the first aid station, which was equipped with a with a physician. Interestingly, and they did CPR for an hour, and and they finally called the code because uh, he he was basically dead. And he said, since then, uh, ever ever since my father died, I've held held the guilt that I killed my father. That I should have been able to save him because that's my job. I'm I save people. I, I don't I don't lose lives. I I, I save lives. So I felt terrible. I, I, I was having trouble functioning with all this guilt. And when I found this skier, there was a deja vu experience that this, this was just like my father. And I think this was my second chance. And I was given a second chance to, to do what, what I could do and I indeed save this skier. And so I feel so much better now that the guilt is lifted off my, my shoulders and I realize that life and death is not up to me. And that oh. I was I was given a chance, and I succeeded to save uh, uh, the skier, and so I I'm I'm restored myself now. And uh, I said, Steve, do you think your dad had anything to do with it? And he said, Sure, he did. Oh my gosh! So that was that was quite a story. Oh wow! I mean, I'm I'm sitting here with a tear in my eye because it's like to him ha to have that capacity to realize that there he was saved too yes. that day and oh man yeah I, I heard the first part of the story you know in the, in the doctor's lounge and when he told me the second part i thought wow this is this is a powerful story 
So true story. He does. I can't believe that. He he never met the skier again that he saved, and uh, he found out he was uh, uh, he wasn't anything. You know, wasn't a, a super important. wasn't a senator or a, a bishop or a congressman or something. Was just an ordinary ordinary person like you and I. So interesting. Oh wow! And uh, so, I mean, it makes me want to think. Okay, gut feeling. Go, you know, follow it. It's the best compass that we have. Yeah. Um. But sometimes we dismiss it. Yes. But he was driven. Yeah, he. I think in in the book and in, in, in interviewing doctors, there are a number of ways that we're communicated with. I, I'm convinced. And and he, someone was shouting at him. You know, he he just could not not climb that mountain. So some of the docs that that told me stories, you know, the 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 things that they experienced were a little more subtle than that. You know, they could have a choice and they decide to make this certain choice, but he couldn't stop himself. He had to climb that mountain. But the, I think that one of the bottom lines, there's a lot of bottom lines in the book, and one of the bottom lines is, when you hear something and you feel something like that, go with it. There there is there is something else out there that sometimes directs our path and, and makes coincidences happen. And if that happens, just go with it and, and uh, do the best you can. And, and sometimes amazing things happen. Wow. What, so this brings me to, you know, what is your theory on beyond death? I mean, these near death experiences, I mean, this powerful voice telling, directing this physician to this person who would have never been found. Right. I mean, what is, what is your opinion after hearing all these stories? Well, what is out there? Well, I had an experience myself just before I wrote the book and we were vac- vacationing in Cape Cod. Cape Cod's our fa- Have you ever been to Cape Cod? No, but I want to go. It's in Massachusetts. It's our favorite vacation place. We go there about every three or four years, and we had the whole family with us. And it was just one of those, you know, there are some days with, that are just perfect days. The, the weather's perfect. Everyone's getting along. Everyone has a wonderful time. You're exhausted because you did so much wonderful swimming and playing and frisbeeing and all the things that you do on vacation. And it was toward the evening and, and, and the boy on vacation, the boys cook and we do a pretty good job of cooking. And we'd been to the store and got all the stuff and it was pretty special dinner. We had swordfish on the grill and corn on the cob. And then we bought a whole bunch of pies. They had a stack of pies in the store that were cherry, cherry pies. And we bought about, I think five cherry pies because that's how many we'd eat. We all, we all like to eat pretty well. And so, uh, we were sitting around and I, I kept thinking this, and we we the boys started to talk about what were their what their favorite pie was when we saw this stack of pies, and we decided it was Grandma Colbabas who had passed my my mother who had who had passed uh, along a number of years before that, and we thought that her rhubarb pie was the best pie we've ever had. And we had a rhubarb plant, one rhubarb plant in the backyard that was huge, and every fall she'd pick all the stalks and make this incredibly sweet rhubarb pie that was incredible. And we would go to her house uh, when we got older with our kids, and, and we'd all dig in with spoons. We wouldn't even get plates. We'd just go to the kitchen. Uh, what a great memory. No germ theory there. Uh, and just dig in and eat the, eat the rhubarb pie until we just couldn't eat anymore. So we thought, you know, if Grandma Colbaba was here, she'd, she'd have us, we'd have a rhubarb pie. So anyway, we brought everything back and we were eating. And it was just, again, that special, special kind of a night. The sun was setting and the girls were laughing and the boys were joking around about their, their meal. And my wife was serving the, uh, uh, the cherry pie. And I took one bite and suddenly got goosebumps. It wasn't cherry. It was rhubarb. 
No. So you can, I, I always wondered, you know, if people from the other side can participate in our lives. And I think that was her way of saying, here I am. I'm part of this special night. Oh, man. Labeled cherry pie. Labeled cherry pie. Yep. Uh, and, and we looked, because I looked at the box and it, and it said cherry, they were all cherry pies. And so that made me think, and, and you can explain that away, certainly by saying at the factory or the bakery, they got mixed up and put the rhubarb pie in the cherry pie box and so forth. But that was my, I, my interest interpretation was that that was my mother trying to communicate with us and tell us that everything was okay. What did the kids do once they realized this in the book? I mean, was I, I bet everybody was just blabbergasted, but then yeah. almost just so overwhelmingly happy. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was cool. It was just a cool time. So, Oh, wow. That's so that got me to thinking about, you know, what is beyond and, mm. uh, I think I think we go to a special place, uh, a place that I think is called heaven, and most of the docs uh, do too. And uh, I think we can, in some ways, uh, communicate and participate with, in the lives of, of those that are still on Earth. And so um, uh, this this book has reinforced the stories have reinforced that that belief. You also encourage everyone to share his or her miraculous story and. I mean, but how does one do this? I mean, do do they go to your website and share these stories with you? Yes, uh, we're looking for all stories because uh, uh, we're we're negotiating right now for a television series on on, on this. So, so we're looking for stories, uh, especially doctor and nurse stories. But we're looking at all kinds of stories because I think one of the things I discovered in telling I love to tell stories in my in my office and I always get behind a little bit because I spend too much time telling stories and other things. <laughs> Look, I, I'm totally in love with you. You're such a great person. Oh wow. One of the things that I've discovered is when you tell stories like this, virtually everyone has a story of their own or a family story. Either they have a personal experience or a family experience. They say thank you for telling this story because listen to my story. And, you know, they, they tell me some of these amazing stories. So I think lots and lots of people have had stories like this that are also afraid to tell it. And one of the things that happened when the book came out and we had a launch uh, is that I was afraid that people would say, oh, you know, these are interesting stories, but this is a bunch of hokum. Uh, or you guys are strange doctors, you know, to tell these stories. But that didn't happen at all. Everyone was was congratulating us on bringing these stories out so that they felt better about telling their own story. And many people have told me their own story. But if they want to communicate with us, it's physiciansuntoldstories.com is our, our website. They can send a, a note and then we can call them up or whatever and, and get their story or they can send the story through that. Well, you you know what the, the, the interesting thing is when you look at this book of yours and it says Physicians Untold Stories, you're thinking it's going to be about their patients in their daily lives. But when I found out that it's no, it's it's stories that are happening outside of the hospital to some of these physicians, but also inside the hospital. But yes. what I thought was interesting is just like that story with you and your mom. I mean, mm -hmm. that's, that is interesting, but y here you are a science man that you use data, but you're so open to not the mysterious too. You can't, exp yeah, well you can explain that away, but that's boring. Sure. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, how can in two hours time 
you be talking about your mother and and rhubarb pie and it's mysteriously placed in the wrong packaging i want to believe it was absolutely your mother being a part of this wonderful night with your family and i no one could convince me otherwise I think that's my interpretation also. I think she was there and she wanted me to know that she was there and that, and that this was a special night that, that she knew that we were having a wonderful time and had a wonderful family. Oh. So. so what do you think? I mean, you're, you are a practicing physician. Um, what yeah. do you think about a, a television series? Is that crazy? Uh, I think these are such incredible stories from scientists that I think people – will like to, to, to hear these these stories. I've gotten some interesting communication from people that have read the book or, or uh, written to me or, or talked to me, and they, they tell me that these stories have helped them get through tough situations, get through a death in the family, because these stories give them hope. And that's what all the doctors were hoping, that they, they would be sappy do-gooders and give people hope in the world in this, in this tough world. There's a lot of tough things that happen to us. And uh, that's, so I think I'm hoping that that, that uh, will, be a, will be a popular uh, television series. We'll see. Well, I, I will watch it. Um, totally. And I don't even have cable, but I will figure out some kind of streaming mechanism. But yeah, that's, it's, it's, I, I love stories like this because it makes me feel hopeful that, I mean, I know we're all spiritual beings, but to mm -hmm. know that there are the possibility that someone that I loved could be helping guiding me through, um, is, is so hopeful to me. So hopeful. Yeah. So how, so you just said the website, that's how people find yeah. you. Um, yes. where can people find the book? I know it's listed on your website, but there's many, there's some other places as well. Yeah. Primarily Amazon is, is the main place to get it. So we, we're, we're through a number of other uh, online services, but Amazon's the big one. And you can just Google it. It's Physicians Untold Stories. Um, it's a collective stories of with over or with 26 other physicians that are telling their story. And I, I tell you, I've read about 10 of them and they are completely amazing. And I, the stories you were telling today, I have not read, but I am like going, going to go back and reread them word for word. Um, but you also are starting to do a lot of speaking and for the book. And so also through the website and that's un, physiciansuntoldstories.com. Yes. Physiciansuntoldstories.com. And, uh, yeah, this, the speaking engagements, uh, are a lot of fun. Uh, people really get into this, and and they they become quite emotional too when when you hear some of these stories because I think it, I think it strikes a chord. I think the I think people know that there's something else out there. They uh, and, and and that they've had some of these experiences. Oh, I can. And to hear scientists talk about them, I think is is uh, really special. I think. I do too, and I think it because they are so much about numbers and diagnosis and for them to lean into some of these stories that they can't even explain, I think is very brave. And I, I love that um, because physicians tend to be a little bit black and white and for them to have these stories happen to them and then be brave enough to share them, you know, that it, they're factual. They're not trying to, they're not creative people that are trying to color it any certain way, exactly how it, except, except exactly how it happened. I, I cannot tell you how much I have enjoyed just this brief chat with you. You are, I don't, I mean, you have the energy um, 
I, that I'm actually thinking about moving to Chicago so you can be my physician. I mean, so you are the type of people and physicians out there that can change this crazy healthcare system that we're in. And to know there are people like you, um, the sappy do-gooders still out there with their imaginary black bags, just trying to do good for their fellow persons. Um, it, I'm, I'm just glad that we've ran across one another. And I cannot tell you, this book... Um, I had someone in my studio earlier today recording, um, and she she ended up picking up this book, and I she, I guess she thought she she thought I thought she could take it and read it, and I was like, hey, I need that for <laughs> this afternoon's podcast. But she even called me back saying, look, when you're done with that book, can I read it? So you it's <laughs> it's really interesting. And what are some of the feedbacks that from people that are that you're getting? Uh, most people tell me they have to have a box of Kleenex uh, near the, near the book occasionally, uh, not for not for sadness, but just out of, out of emotion. They tell me that uh, it reminds them of some of the stories that they had that they were afraid to tell others. Uh, they tell me that it's given them hope, and that it's given them uh, restore renew their faith that there is something else out there, that there is love, and that love is the most powerful force in the universe. And that there is a God and that we go somewhere when we die and, and we can be aware of what happens to our those that are, are left behind in many cases. So it's it's a it's a book of hope and love. I think. It absolutely is. And thank you for gathering these collective group of scientists together to tell their stories. Um, you you're on to something. And I hope this television show does happen. I hope there's another book coming out. And I hope that people continue to share these stories because just the little stories that I have read and heard you talk about today, I mean, I'm sitting here with tears in my eyes. Um, I don't think I can ever eat another rhubarb pie without thinking about you and your mother. <laughs> I mean, and that to me uh, is is legacy of, you know, who would have thought that your mother would ever come into my conscience except through that story? Um, so yeah. I, I just really appreciate you being open and sharing these um, stories with the world. And um, again, it's physiciansuntoldstories.com. But get in touch with Dr. Kababa and, um, and, and really share your stories and, and order this book on Amazon. And I again, I am so grateful to know physicians like you are out there and are working um, beside other do-gooders. Um, thank you for what you're doing. Thanks, Kimberly. It was a great interview. I appreciate it. Yeah. And look, if there's anything that I can do for you to promote the book or anything moving forward, when you have the television series out, let me know. And we'll bring you back on to promote it. I will. Me, Thanks so much. Hey, give my love to your family. Oh, wow. They're so lucky to have you. Thanks. Thanks for all your comments. I appreciate that. All right, love. You have a wonderful day and keep doing good work. I will. Thanks, Kimberly. Thanks for joining us today. And remember... You're the designer.